Hello and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Bree. And today we have with us authors Sierra Simone and Julie Murphy. We are so excited to have you join us today. Can you please both share a little bit about yourselves? Hi, this is Julie. We're so excited to be here. Um, I am a former librarian turned young adult middle grade author who um, has now been corrupted by my very best friend, Sierra Simone, and am dabbling in romance for the very first time. Yay! Yay. I love corrupting people. What can I say? I'm Sierra Simone and I love corrupting people. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I uh, am a writer who writes very clean and sweet closed door romances. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's exactly it. I mean, I've read Priest probably a thousand times, and I can, I totally agree, you know? Yeah, yeah all the doors are closed in Priest. <laughs> it's definitely the romance you want to give to your mother-in-law. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we would love to hear how you two became friends and how the idea of writing a book together came to be. Well, uh, it all started back in 2014. Uh, We were debut young adult authors. Sierra Simone has a former life, just so everyone knows, as a young adult author. And our dear friend, uh, Natalie Parker, who is also a Kansas City native like Sierra, um, was uh, putting together a little book tour for all of us who just recently had our very first books out. And, you know, in all fairness, we're not getting a lot of attention from our publishers, but we're really excited to like get out there and meet readers. And so she put together this little, this little book tour with um, a minivan and a very small budget. And she invited me to go on this tour. And she said, we would love to have you there um, because we're all on a budget. You are going to have to share a room with someone you've never met before. And I was immediately disgruntled because (laughs) I am very specific about personal space. And I also sometimes snore and I was just not in the mood to be judged or, uh, you know, to upset anyone with my snoring. Like I just wanted everyone to sleep in peace, including myself. And so I said, I guess so, because I really like you, Natalie, and I want to maintain this friendship. So I will do this thing for you. But uh, she's going to have to share a room with me and she's just going to have to get over it. This the Sierra Simone person. And so Sierra and I met that very first day of the book tour. I flew into Kansas City and hopped right into this rental car and we went straight to Sierra's house. And I said, hi, I'm Julie and I snore. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And then I said, that's okay, because I have narcolepsy and I can sleep through anything. (laughs) And and so it was just meant to be. We always say that our friendship started out with like, some of the greatest tropes. So like, we started out with one bed, enemies to lovers, you know, I mean, forced proximity, proximity, you know, the best ones. Um, So we really like, It was kind of like one of those friendships in high school where it's like you meet someone and in two hours, like you would die for them. Uh, (laughs) And so (laughs) we were in the backseat of this car and just having the time of our lives. And we thought that we were the funniest people in the world. Um, And we're probably really annoying the people in the front seat because we were just laughing over inside jokes that we had made within like five minutes of meeting each other. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty great. So um, really things, uh, things got a little more serious. 
as uh, we started going on writing retreats together. I feel like Sierra, you're really good at talking about our little retreats. So I'll let you. Yes. So as we've established, I have narcolepsy and uh, I can say that I am morning challenged somewhat, (laughs) Um, but I always really appreciate meeting other people who are also vampires. And so we would go on these writing retreats with our friends and our friends are very... um, wake up at five, do several writing sprints, do yoga, meditate, go for a walk, uh, you know, rescue a baby deer. And like, they would have these entire lives before noon. And so by the time Julie and I woke up, like teenage boys, you know, at noon, like crawling out of the bedroom, looking for (laughs) pop tarts, you know, everyone would have been just like, living Instagram people, you know, like they really are being that productive and healthy, which good for them. I'm, I, I'm happy for them. They um, set goals in the morning. Like every morning, everybody signs up for a goal and I just, I refuse. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you they ask you to set a goal? Like, don't hand me a Sharpie. I'm not writing anything down on that board. Yeah. Um, so Julie and I, you know how sometimes if you're like, you know, in a group chat, eventually sort of organically springs to life the side group chat or like the back channel group chat. So we kind of started having like a back channel retreat where it was just the two of us. And instead of waking up at five, we would wake up at noon. And instead of going on walks, we would watch the most garbage TV that we could (laughs) (laughs) And so eventually what ended up happening because of the way our schedules would work is that most of our writing retreats would end up happening in the winter uh, around Christmas time. And so these retreat little cabins that we'd book, they'd be like all decked out for Christmas. And so while we were trying to get as many words written as we possibly could in the nighttime, like, you know, vampires, we would be surrounded by like Christmas trees and that, you know, there would be like Christmas movies on the TV. And so eventually like these retreats really just became Christmas retreats for us. It's really like, I feel like Christmas like became part of our like friendship personality. Like we really, really leaned into it. And we also found that like, we were so productive on these retreats. And I think that neither of us had ever really given ourselves permission to just be like, like dumpster people and just wake up whenever we want and do whatever we want and like let ourselves find success in that. But we were finding that like we were getting a lot of work done. We were having a lot of fun. Um, And so every night at the end of our day, which ended at like midnight, uh, we would sit in bed and like literally sit with like a full plate of pie balanced on our chests. And (laughs) I like, so Sierra doesn't have a really robust cinematic education. And so I felt like it was my duty as just like a good like human being to share with her some of my favorite recent Christmas movies. And that's when I showed her the absolute classic, A Christmas Prince on Netflix. Okay. Okay. And that really sort of changed like everything like Sierra does not have like the attention span for a movie like she would just rather be reading a book or like doing something where she's not relying relying on actors to like act out things that could potentially embarrass her because she has really severe secondhand embarrassment um and so so (laughs) (laughs) it's 
so true. My husband suffers from the same thing. And I'm like, just get over it. We're going to watch the movie where they embarrass themselves. Um, and so anyways, we were watching these Christmas movies and it had become like part of our tradition, this yearly thing. And one year we stumbled upon the Hallmark channel and we're watching these movies. And I don't know which one of us turned to the other first, but eventually someone said, you know, these movies in quality aren't so different from other movies that you might watch by yourself at night. Right. And that was kind of like the Genesis moment for like, wouldn't it be so hilarious to write a Christmas book about an adult film star who was accidentally cast in one of these movies? Because we could really see that happening in real life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, what am I missing, Sierra? I feel like we haven't, we've been out of practice. We haven't told our, our little story in like the last our, few weeks. Our villain origin story. Yeah. I think, you know, I think that's really kind of the nexus of how our friendship turned from like, let's be best friends to let's put our names on a legal document together with our students. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, let's get professionally yeah. married and um, let's let this children's author write a book about a porn star. Yeah, that, that was a wild ride. Um, it was a wild ride. But I yeah. do think that there's something about when you're working with one of your best friends where when you're doing something by yourself, you tend to tell yourself no a lot. You know, like, no, this idea could never work. No, this this wouldn't be feasible. It wouldn't be good enough. Uh, and there's just like lots of reasons to tell yourself no, that are probably not coming from like a great place of, you know, confidence or whatever. But when it's your best friend, like you only want to say yes to your best friend, like whether or not it's they're going to buy a, a pair of shiny pink pants on the internet, or, you know, like, <laughs> are they, you know, going to go take a spontaneous trip to some like, I don't know, stargazing bubbles in West Texas. Like, of course you're going to tell your friends. Yes. Like go do These that. These are two things that I have forced Sierra to do. Just for <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I need to see the pink pants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we have so, matching sparkle pink pants. and I'm forcing her to go to West Texas with me next year. So yeah, we're on track. I have not been to the bubbles yet, but I did say yes. But I did tell you that you should go because I think that like when you're with your best friend, you just want to hype each other up because you're like, you're so pretty. You're so smart. You're so yeah. funny. And so then like somehow we ended up like writing this book with that whole energy where like we'd send each other a chapter and be like, oh, my God, you're the funniest person I know. How are you so funny? Stop <laughs> How are you so funny? How are you so pretty? Oh, my God. Are we are we perfect a little bit? And it's just <laughs> It's great energy, but it's also, it can also be bad energy, <laughs> but it worked out for us. Oh, it definitely did. It comes through on every page and it's just such, such an enjoyable book. Thank you. Yeah, we really, we feel really excited about where the book landed. And um, I mean, there was just constant, like, like if you've read the book, there's like a strip club in the book called the North Pole. And that was like one of those, like, okay, let's do something ridiculous moments. Like let's say yes and, and write a book about a, uh, you know, a Christmas themed strip club. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I think that that's something that's kind of fun about co-writing is that every uh, chapter is a little bit of a surprise. So when you're writing a book on your own, you kind of have everything and you're, it's very rare that you surprise yourself. Like, I mean, sometimes us authors will go, you know, give a keynote about how a character just really surprised us or something like that. But really, like, you know, to speak honestly, a lot of times when you're writing, there's not a whole lot that happens that you're genuinely, you know, it didn't occur to you that this could happen. But when you're co-writing, 
like who knows what's going to be in the chapter that you get back. And so it felt like getting a little present every two or three days when I'd get a new chapter from Julie, like, okay, like, what is it going to be? It's like a little present just for me. So how did you coordinate the co-writing? Did you, did one of you start a chapter and then send it to the other and then send revisions back and forth? What was, what was your process? Well, we uh, decided pretty early on that we wanted to kind of each take a character. And uh, I don't know if anyone knows this about me, but I really like it when characters are angsty (laughs) and like suffering just a little bit. And so I was like, I want to take the tortured bad boy, like give him to me. Um, And so I made poor Julie write the porn star. Character. <laughs> it came really naturally. It came. Really, I just jumped from like teenage beauty queens to porn stars, so it's a really short pipeline there. <laughs> well, you did fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this makes a lot of sense now. Okay. <laughs> um, but we did like help each other out. So Julie is, I think, one of the absolute best people in this business at writing dialogue, uh, banter. And it like pacing scenes and just these great ways that almost feel cinematic. And so as I was writing, you know, there would be scenes sometimes where I'd say, Julie, like, can you tap in and just punch up this dialogue? Or can you, you know, kind of help me figure out how to get this scene to happen faster? Um, And then Julie would sometimes, you know, page Dr. Spice (laughs) and be like, you know, Dr. Spice to the operating room. Like we need you to come in and maybe add sprinkle a little bit of spice here on this scene. Um, <laughs> I need you to bust out the defibrillator. And, uh, <laughs> there is a lot of defibrillator jokes or there are a lot of defibrillator jokes in the book for anyone who checks it out. So please enjoy that. <laughs> they all involve boobs. I got to say. <laughs> yeah. They all involve boobs. <laughs> These are not medically sound defibrillators. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. I am a doctor, right? <laughs> Well, a really fun spin in the book that you all introduce early on and in it is that B and Nolan are already huge fans of each other, which makes it so hilarious because you're like in on this thing that they don't know about each other yet. So how did you all choose that for their characters uh, and how did them as characters come to you in the first place? I think that we both have like so many celebrity crushes throughout like our entire history of human beings and also like celebrity crushes that we like share with each other and like gush over that. I don't, I don't know that they're, I think that was part of like the initial idea was like, Oh my God. And they're going to know, like, he's going to know exactly who she is and what she does for a living. I think that was one of the like really exciting and sexy aspects to it that made us want to definitely do this. Um, And I, I just also thought that like, I think we both agreed that like this would be a really great shame free to set shame free way to set B up as a sex worker um, where like her job is like glorified uh, from the very beginning and there's nothing wrong with it other than like, you know, her having to like keep her identity under wraps for the sake of this specific job. And I think we wanted to create the sort of Melu like Christmas notch as a setting and then all of the characters inside of it where like there are these sort of very dis not distant like they are important and urgent but they're not immediately proximate to be these really important reasons why she needs to keep her identity under wraps but the people that she's working with every day so the cast the crew 
um, her friends, like there's no shame coming from them about her job. And so like that was kind of how we wanted to create that shame free paradigm was that, you know, it's not in the hero's head that like, oh, no, this is what she does. You know, from the beginning, he's like, she's amazing. And I love her content. Um, and I just, I was just at a writing retreat this weekend, not a vampire one. Unfortunately, everyone was up very early, <laughs> except for me. Um, and I walked in on some people brainstorming a book. And I heard one of the authors ask the author whose book was being workshopped, ask the question, um, what's the worst it could be? So like, what is the worst thing that could happen to this character to kind of raise the stakes and raise the sense of conflict? And I don't think we ever thought that way intentionally when we were plotting the book, but it is sort of a writerly instinct to be like, okay, we're going to have B show up to Christmas notch and she has to keep her identity under wraps. What's the worst thing that could happen? Well, the worst thing that could happen is someone already knows who she is like really well. And it's someone that she has to see every day. And so that sort of, I think there's sort of a writer instinct to just make things as messy as possible, as quickly as possible uh, and not take it too easy on these, on these characters. I think I also really loved, like you were saying just now, Sierra, like how messy it was from the get go. Like I really love like the idea of taking like it's already a total mess when like one character is a celebrity and the other has like been obsessing over them. But when they both have like this like obsession for each other, but not really knowing each other, like still having to like get to know each other and find out that they are real people under this like celebrity persona. um, I think it just makes for great tension and, you know, great character growth too. Well, we have to ask, was there any particular holiday movie actress who inspired the character of Winnie? Yes. (laughs) So I have to say uh, it it was definitely uh, for me kind of a Candace Cameron, like alternate universe Candace Cameron, um, where, you know, she, Winnie is, is younger than Candace would be. And, um, but very similar sort of origin stories and that they're like sort of, the, they've grown up in the spotlight being in sort of mainstream entertainment and have now shifted their brand to be very specifically kind of family friendly or faith-based entertainment. Um, but for Winnie, when you are sort of introduced to her in a Merry Little Meet Cute, that has all started kind of crumbling down. Uh, Winnie is kind of in the middle of a very, uh, messy rebirth of herself. Um, And that messy rebirth is actually one of the reasons why she can't do the movie in a Merry Little Meet Cute. Uh, She has to, (laughs) she's hospitalized, Uh, but she's fine. She's fine. She's just, (laughs) she's she's not dead. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and so be Bianca Von Honey, our heroine has to kind of step in and and fill this role. Uh, So Winnie is like, um, she's a very interesting character for me because, uh, you know, Julie and I have probably talked about this in other places, but we, both had sort of a foot in purity culture world growing up. Um, and it was pretty impactful for us in not a great way. <laughs> and so with Winnie uh, Baker in book two, we've actually gotten to kind of unpack that a little bit and explore like what that, what that means um, inside the happy yeah. world of Christmas match, of course. 
And Winnie is our book two uh, heroine too. Oh so. my god! Winnie gets her own little yeah. She gets her own little purity culture redemption uh, <laughs> in book two. <laughs> well, the book is just so wonderful and just such a, a inclusive romance. And we loved that B wasn't the heroine you typically see in these Christmas movies. Uh, we'd love to hear you talk about exploring love for everybody and how featuring fat heroines and heroes is essential to representation. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty major hallmark of everything I write. And Sierra is really um, like smart and act and proactive about writing fat characters as well. Um, but I just think it comes down to the fact that like everybody deserves a story. Everybody deserves a happily ever after. Um, or a happy ending, if you will. Um, so I, I don't know. I think like I've, I've been writing about fat characters since gosh, like 2015 now is when my, like my first book with a fat character came out, Dumplin'. And I think that like the, the conversation around it is really exciting and it's evolving and I'm starting to see a lot more fat characters, uh, being published by major publishers and that's really exciting, but I still think that it will, it will never feel like enough. And I think that, um, what was most exciting about this project was getting to talk about fat characters in a new way, because not only is B fat, but she's also a sex worker. And mm-hmm. so there are people out there who consume B's content because she is fat And so we were really excited to take her relationship with Nolan and show him like appreciating and loving her body specifically because of the way it looks and the way it feels to him. Um, while also like loving her as a human, like three dimensional person. Um, so I, I mean, I think that like, I don't know, I getting to write that with my best friend, who's like one of the smartest people I know, and also is like so much better at uh, like conveying like all the things that live in my head. She's so good at like verbalizing them and helping me materialize them on page. Like it was really exciting to take a concept of like a fat sex worker and getting to do that with her because I knew that if anyone could help me make this work, it was going to be her. Well, you're so nice to me. I'm not that smart. <laughs> you are. Smart. I hope listeners aren't like, you're man, Sierra must be smart. I'm not that smart. <laughs> She's so smart. Oh my gosh. It's annoying how smart she is. And also she'll just talk at your face about the like most boring smart things all the time. <laughs> so, I'm not really complimenting you. I'm still this calling you true. boring. Do okay. not like talk about, I don't know, Richard the Third to me because then you will never leave my presence. <laughs> <laughs> we all need a friend. We all we all need that friend with the like, yes. most random facts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk uh pop culture for a moment uh, due to nostalgia and Nolan being an ex boy band member. Who was your favorite boy band of choice and one of your favorite songs by them? I think we could both agree that like we were in sync girlies growing up. Yes. Um, <laughs> with like a few random Backstreet Boys and other like, you know, 98 Degrees, like bops like that thrown in. Um, but I actually, even though I loved NSYNC, I think that my favorite uh like boy band song was definitely a Backstreet Boy song. I can never remember the name of it. And I always have to ask Sierra what it was, but it was the one where they're in like, it's like, they're like in like a haunted mansion or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
what I'm talking about? Yes. Oh everybody God. in parentheses, backstreets back. Okay. Backstreets well, back. Oh, all yeah. right. It's a good thing I'm exclusively right. doing interviews with you right now because I literally, you, you said the name of it and it's already left my head. So <laughs> just hold on to that for me. Okay. So we have to, we have to dissect this. Like, okay. I, I feel like I was an in sync person too. Aaron, uh, did you have a boy band of choice or no? Well, I, I, Honestly, it'd be new kids on the block and you know, the right <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Okay. Why in sync though for you over Backstreet Boys? Okay. This is my okay. This is my concept. This is my theory on this. The guys of NSYNC were like more varied in their looks and they were really hot. And the guys at Backstreet Boys, like in Backstreet Boys, like they were hot, but they also were hot in like the same way that like the guy who delivers your pizza is hot. Is that where the pizza idea came from? Yeah, it, basically, pretty much. No. <laughs> oh, but, well, I mean, well, we could talk about Callum all night long. Callum is our Joey Fatone. Um, but I mean, I just, they were hot in the way that like your brother's cousin's friend. I guess if your brother has a cousin, it's also your cousin. But you know what I mean? Like your brother's friend is hot. Like they weren't like, they weren't like special hot to me. I don't know. What do you think, Sierra? <laughs> I know I'm enjoying this. Um, Are you really enjoying it? I hope so. Yeah. No, I I think that um, I think that there was just one or two degrees of difference in the slickness of manufacturing, like the mm-hmm. music and the music videos mm-hmm. and the image. And so NSYNC to me always just seemed like that much more put together, like in terms of like, I don't know, their music videos and their choreography um just always seemed a little bit stronger to me um and then I I think that a lot of it was just being dazzled by JC (laughs) like I think that once I saw JC I was like my soulmate is here and so it didn't (laughs) matter you were a JC girl yeah oh my god I can't believe I didn't know this about you okay that explains so much Okay. (laughs) okay Julie were you a JC girl or no no. Okay. First off, I worked at Hot Topic growing up, so like I <laughs> couldn't even tell anyone that I liked and sang. Oh, classic um, thing. <laughs> and so, like, I, I, I guess I'm a Justin girl, but really, I mean, honestly, like, truly, my heart of hearts, I'm a Joey Fatone girl. But I just, I don't know. I just totally thought you were a Justin girl, Sierra. I'm so my mind is blown right now. I mean, I like Justin too, don't get me wrong, but like, you know, when you would get like J14 or Tiger mm-hmm. Beat and then they would have the big center posters that were like the big ones, you know, that were like folded up inside the magazine. Um, like the, I had the most of those of JC's face. So Was it because you looked like like a like a, a boy who wants to like talk to you? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, do you, he wants to talk a little bit before you make out with him? Like, is that yeah, why? Yeah, I think that like, was my vibe. I was like, do you think he's secretly sad about something? Oh my God. Because that's definitely my vibe. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> But then you would listen to like 98 Degrees and you're like, man, these three guys really can sing, but they're like not dancing and stuff like the other two. Yeah. I don't what know. Are, I don't know. bringing to the table, man? I, I will say that there was a show about Jessica Simpson and Nick Lachey being married on MTV. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. The Chicken of the Sea. And I never had paid much attention to 98 degrees like I could probably have sung along with some of their singles that were on the radio but I never owned any of their CDs but after I watched that show Nick Lachey's brother Drew Lachey 
was so funny on it that I was, oh, yeah. I kind of retroactively wished I had been a 98 degrees fan. <laughs> so, I mean, but now we, it's like, it's like K-pop and stuff, right? Is big. Do you yeah. feel like the pop culture now is the same? Is it different? Like, what do you think? Like, I just, I look at my daughter, my, my daughter's 14 and she's in love with the Harry Styles. Um, and it's fun. It just feels like now, like she can like follow him on Instagram or whatever. It just feels like, well, I couldn't follow Justin and NSYNC back in the day. You know, it just, it feels a little different to me. Like, what do you all think? Oh, I think it all feels like way more polished now. Like, because I love Harry Styles. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I totally, I don't, I think that adults looked at us growing up and could not wrap their heads around (laughs) our obsession. And now I see what kids are obsessed with. And I'm like, yeah, I have like FOMO right now because I'm a little too old for your obsession. I think that there has been a really positive shift in general around fandom and what it means to be a fan. Because I do think that when I was growing up, fandom was definitely something that only teenagers felt like they had permission to do freely. And if you remained a fan of something then that definitely like puts you in a certain kind of category of adult, right? Like, oh, he's he goes to Star Trek conventions or something like that. And so there was sort of like a, I don't want to say like necessarily a negative connotation to it, but it definitely felt like um, only teenagers got to have sort of untrammeled fandom and have it be kind of culturally accepted because it was easy to sort of dismiss as having no power, right? Like, well, Mm -hmm. teenage girls want to make posters. So isn't that cute? Um, And then I think that something has, it definitely was changing probably at the tail end of my, you know, being a young person in fandom. But I see now so many more um, age groups involved in fandom. And then I also see that fandom has real like real world power. Like I'm thinking of the K-pop fans Mm -hmm. who broke that rally of Trump's by um, buying up all the tickets or like registering for all the spaces. Um, And they did that. Yeah, they did that through the power of fandom. Like it was all these K-pop groups that got together and did this. And like, you know, they also sometimes will go on Twitter and like, you know, I don't know how Twitter works, but do something with engagement uh, for, for good, you know? And so it's interesting to see like what used to be sort of contained and sort of like benevolently looked at has now turned into something that, um, ripples out into the real world, so to speak. And that I see adults partaking of more freely, which I think is, I think is great. Yeah. yeah. Everything she said is smart and right. But I also (laughs) know that she always talks like she has a PhD all the time. Like, even when she's had a few drinks in there, just so you know. <laughs> only, only about Richard III. <laughs> I mean, I love this. Like, as I was reading through the Thorn Chapel series, I was like, yeah. I can, I just feel like Sierra Simone is a very smart person who oh. falls down a lot of rabbit holes, like yes. reading history. The last, and- <laughs> the last part is very true. <laughs> you're, just, you're just really uh, speaking her language here. She's really, she won't admit it, but she's eating it up. She loves it. It's- <laughs> 
it's good to have Julie with me when we're writing because Julie can kind of carefully steer me into the right rabbit holes and then <laughs> can kind of pull me out of some rabbit holes. Like, it's okay. You don't actually have to know how to ride a horse to ride yeah. this to write this scene. Um, but if you want to spend, you know, three hours looking for the perfect wedding dress, then that's fine too. <laughs> so it's good to have, you know, that kind of uh, caretaking in writing. The book is very, very hot. Um, and I just, as somebody who does watch the made for TV Christmas movies, I felt like you got, y'all wrote this for me because you gave us like those ex that reader expectations that we come to that for, but also you did like found this way to balance it and make it like a very sexy book. So can you talk about finding the balance as y'all were writing it? Okay, I'm gonna say one thing and then Sierra has to come in and say <laughs> her smart things after I say this. But there's this really great, like winky sort of moment in the beginning of the book where there's a Venn diagram and B is like, I'm gonna be fine. No one's gonna know who I am. Yeah. Surely there's no overlap between the people who, you know, like my adult content and the people who watch these Christmas movies. And I think that like, that's like the crux of the book. Like that's the funniest part is that yes. like those people exist and they are like huge in numbers. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I just think romance in general is really great. Uh, like a really great playground for imagining um, a world where tropes are a good thing. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes in other fiction circles, like I got a creative writing degree. So I was around a lot of literary fiction types. And, you know, the way that they talk about tropes and premises is very um, condescending, right? Like tropes are bad. It would be bad of a reader to want to read the same thing over and over again. And what I love about romance is it's like, no, I can read 117 Grumpy Sunshine books and I will love every single <laughs> moment of it. I will never get tired of Grumpy Sunshine. And so I feel like romance is such great um, kind of training for having that outlook of like, why wouldn't we just write a book packed full of things that make us happy? You know, like I like snow. I like Christmas trees. I like it when magical moments happen when a secondary character is secretly Santa Claus or whatever. Like there's no reason why we can't create art just for the simple fact that it makes us happy to create like there's there's actually no reason why you're not allowed to do that it doesn't have to be uh every you know every book doesn't have to be subverting something really deep and actually I think that when you put so much joy into something when the context is a three-dimensional character in a way you're doing something deeper than subversion because you're being like here's this really complicated and flawed character experiencing something that truly is a magical snowy moment or like something out of the movies but it's happening to this complex and real character like I think that that accomplishes something even more fun than subversion, which is kind of bringing something to life. God, I told you, she's so <laughs> smart. I'm, I'm over here like, I like the pretty movies. I just wish they had sex more. Let's write a book. <laughs> and well, she's like, actually, let me tell you why that's a subversive political move. And I'm like, okay, I love it. it. I love it. The dynamic no, is I, great. <laughs> I wouldn't be, we wouldn't be me without her. Like, you know, like I just, <laughs> it just makes me look smarter. I love it. <laughs> 
Okay, well, let's chat holiday movies. So give me the details on some of your holiday favorite holiday movie watches and why you think this genre of film continues to be popular because, I mean, there are holiday movies coming from everywhere now. I mean, it's only getting bigger. I think, like, doesn't, like, Discovery and TLC Discovery have... Discovery like, Plus yeah. has yeah. <laughs> Christmas what? movies, yes. Okay, this is, this is news to me. I did not know this, really. Yes. Yeah, and they're, like, plugging their uh, reality TV stars into them yes. for, like, cameos. It's like kind of home, the Home Renovators. There was, like, the Pioneer Woman was in one last year. <laughs> yes. It's amazing. I had no idea. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I think that I think that the the movie that blew Sierra's mind had to be Princess Switch 3, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although close second, the night before Christmas, night with a K. Yes. Uh, also with Vanessa Hudgens, but only one of her this time. I think that like I this is a compliment. The night before Christmas was so stunningly bad that it give it gave us like such creative liberty to like do whatever the hell we wanted. Like we were just like, we're gobbling this up. Let's do something even more ridiculous. Um, so I love the night before Christmas, but I also uh, my like favorite oldie from the nineties is I'll be home for Christmas with JTT. Um, um, where is Jonathan Taylor Thomas? You know, I will say don't Google a recent picture of him. Cause okay. I think he might not be in his best era right now. Um, <laughs> so just, <laughs> just let the memory, <laughs> yeah, just preserve the memory. Just keep the memory of JTT. Um, but I mean, Sierra, what were some of your favorite Christmas movies before we started watching Christmas movies together? Did you oh, have Oh, you know, I'm kind of a basic being. So, uh, the holiday is really oh, high up. I love that one. I love the holiday. Yeah. Jack Black's character is like him and Kate Winslet in that movie is just like perfection. And then mm-hmm. I have a very strange and intense crush on the British character actor Rufus Sewell. And so him as the like toxic, not quite ex, unrequited yeah. love character Jasper is like perfect for me. Yes. Um, yes. And then I will probably get dragged on the internet for admitting this, but I still love Love Actually. I know it's got problems. I know it's a mess, <laughs> but it was... I saw it when I was 16 or 17 and it was the perfect age for me to see Colin Firth jump into a lake after his, you know, blown away manuscript pages. And I, the eyes just still have a soft spot for it. I'm like, yes, this is a mess, but mm-hmm. there's something about it. It still works for me. I mean, there are multiple odes to it. I mean, in a merry little meet cute, there's the quote at the beginning and then there's, yeah. uh, we won't spoil anything, but there's a little nod to it at the end too. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's kind of one of those things that even if you don't like love, actually, if you're if you're a Christmas movie, there might always sort of be some conversation with love, actually, that's going to happen necessarily. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So imagine you're the heroine in a Christmas movie. It's the opening scene and you're walking down the sidewalk with your favorite Christmas song playing in the background. What song is it? So I think for me, I'm really partial to this version of God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen with Sarah McLaughlin and uh, the Bare Naked Ladies. Um, I don't know why, but for some reason, every time I hear that song, I am just transported to this other universe where I own a tiny coffee shop and and maybe falling in love with a librarian across the street or something. I don't know. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh, I have multiples. Also, I am uh, like half Jewish, so I have to say that one of my favorite holiday songs of all time is Jack Black singing Oh Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter, like if you're if like you've never even like lit, lit a menorah before, you're suddenly gonna be like, someone get me a dreidel. Um, it's so so good. So that would be one of mine if we're going for like a Hanukkah movie. If we're going for a Christmas movie, um, I really love Sia's Christmas album. I feel like we never get new Christmas music that's like original Christmas music, and I think all of her um all of her tracks on her Christmas album is really good. I love Every Day is Christmas. Um and also like, I mean, who doesn't have Mariah Carey's Oh my like, gosh. <laughs> Christmas song like literally running through their veins so speaking of love actually I read one time that they actually had to coach the uh the person playing uh Sam's love interest uh when she (laughs) sings the song at the end they actually had to coach her to have her voice do like more of a vocal fry and kind of like crack a little bit more because they didn't think that anyone would believe that she could sing that song so well when she was like a kid um so she actually like her voice is even better than it sounds at the end of the movie. And it already sounds perfect. I feel like we should all uh, raise our hands very quickly and see who amongst us has watched the like deleted scenes, like special edition version DVD of love actually. <laughs> Cause I'm pretty sure I know who it is. <laughs> I'm just going to say if you are ever, bored uh or you would just like to have yourself a little chortle i could uh, finish the sentence for you (laughs) you should uh find the extended version (laughs) of what's that actor's name jojen reed you know who i'm talking about julie Mm -hmm. yeah red hair kid uh he is running through the airport and there was a deleted plot line in the movie where he was actually a child prodigy gymnast um and was doing lots of gymnastics so at the very end of the movie when he's chasing after uh the girl she's going to america he actually starts like handspringing through the airport and like doing uneven bars on like (laughs) things in the airport and like pole vaulting (laughs) through security um and it's very obviously not jojen reed whatever that actor's name is it is like a man like a full-size <laughs> man doing these handsprings and cartwheels through the airport it's it's really great i i recommend for for a good little laugh well you all shared already that you are currently working on book two is there anything i mean can you tell us a little bit about winnie's book i think so or is right? it too early no, I think we could talk about it. So our hero for book two is Callum, who is the uh, former boy band member, uh, along with Nolan. There were three three members of the boy band. There was Isaac, who was the bad boy. No, no, wait, I'm sorry. Isaac, who was like the hot, sad one, right? Yes. Isaac is our heartthrob, and he's very yeah. sad right now because yeah. I wrote him. <laughs> yeah. So he is uh, hashtag sad. And then there's Nolan, who you met, who's like, you know, the bad boy who gets his redemption arc in book one. And then there's Callum, and he's just Callum. And he's like, you know, like we said, he's like our Joey Fatone. He is, you know, unlike Nolan, he was able to squirrel away a little bit of money from his boy band days and used it to start a uh, local pizza chain called Slice Slice Baby. And so he is the pizza mogul of the Midwest. And in book one, he has a a tape that he has made with a consenting adult. 
Um, and that tape goes, uh, is, uh, you know, released to the public and goes a little bit viral. So <laughs> a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Callum becomes like the dad bod king with a pizza chain. And um, then there's Winnie, who was, you know, originally cast in this first movie and was no longer able to be in it. Uh, what am I missing, Sierra? Um, so that, I mean, that is sort of the two characters, but I think we got to say a little bit about how they're brought together, which is that um, after the events of A Merry Little Meet Cute, the Hope Channel, which for legal reasons is not the Hallmark Channel, but, you know, it's like, basically the Hallmark Channel, Mm -hmm. the Hope Channel has kind of seen the interest in Duke the Halls and Bian Nolan, and they've decided that they're going to launch a new content arm called Hope After Dark. And and these movies will be, you know, um, kind of in that like rated R, NC-17, like would air on Cinemax late at night kind of level movies. And the very first one that they're making is called Santa Baby. And it's a Santa Claus origin story about him and Mrs. Claus meeting. Um, And it is it's a very physical movie. Uh, And so... Callum decides to spin his, um, let's call it home video uh, success into doing this movie. And Winnie, who you see in book one is kind of at a crossroads, um, is really, she's decided that she's just going to break free from this sort of image that she's had her entire life and that she's going to star in this movie too, but it's a very big step for her. Um, and so when she gets to the set of the movie, she realizes that, um, it's actually kind of hard to pretend to have movie sex when she's never had really good real life sex. Um, and so Callum is like, well, I can show you. Oh, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) So there's a little bit of sex lessons in there, which I, I love sex lessons. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, is there anything that you all are working on solo that you can tell us? Or are y'all both just focusing on on the next book together? Uh, We both have a couple of projects coming out next year. So next year, I have um, (laughs) a middle grade book coming out uh, for tweens. And it's called Camp Sylvania. It's um, about a fat camp that is maybe possibly accidentally run by vampires um (laughs) and it's really funny and spooky um and then i also have a picture book coming out my very first picture book uh called chubby bunny and if you've never if you ever played the game chubby bunny it is about the game chubby bunny and if you've never played the game chubby bunny i guess you'll just have to pick up the picture book and find out what it's all about (laughs) um and then we also have uh let's see we oh we have novellas coming out we're going to be releasing novellas uh a novella in july for christmas in july and um that will be about uh luca and angel who you would have met in the first book um i uh it's actually going to be tomorrow that it's coming out i have a medieval uh erotic romance coming out that's um ff it's about a norman murder babe that's what i'm calling her um and an anglo-saxon abbess um so i'm kind of going back to my you know 
Catholic clergy roots a little bit. Um, that comes out tomorrow. And then I'm working on a spinoff. I did a trilogy a few years ago called the New Camelot Trilogy that was like a King Arthur retelling, but like kinky and polyamorous and queer. And I'm doing a Mark, Tristan, and Isolde retelling in kind of the same vein. Um, that's kind of set in the same universe, but you won't have to have read New Camelot to read this. Uh, so I'm working on that first book right now, and that'll come out next summer. Well, where can everybody keep up with you two online? Um, well, you can keep up with me by keeping up with Julie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like I to be just about to say uh, nowhere, basically. <laughs> yeah, uh, you, you can reach me by quest. Uh, you can complete a quest, and then I'll, I'll answer your Instagram DM. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Uh, you can find Sierra at the Sierra Simone, right? On Instagram. Is that yes. correct? Yes. And then on Facebook too, you've got you know, your Facebook page and your Facebook groups too. Um, and I'm and I'm Julie uh, just about everywhere except for on TikTok. I'm and I'm Julie zero because some teenager stole. <laughs> oh no. Before I can get to it. So <laughs> story of my life. <laughs> <laughs>